Hello everyone and welcome back to the latest episode of The Big Picture and of course it is that time again where we are reviewing and discussing the latest MCU TV series as Loki and we'll be pitching our improvements on season one to make it better than what it already is, that's assuming that it is better, but according to you, the people, it's a bit meh, it's meh, 50% of you voting our fan poll over on Twitter at underscore the big picture thinking that it was meh overall. 30% of you thought it was excellent, 10% thought it was good, 10% thought it was piss poor. And two-thirds of you over on our Instagram said it wasn't the best MCU TV series yet. So that'd either be One Division or Falcon Winter Soldier, but I am very, very confident it's not the latter. But <laughs> we move on, and as always, we are joined by the, the very illustrious panel here at The Big Picture. First, Reese Cook. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm just great, thanks. I'm just currently, I'm currently sat in my back garden. It's 27 degrees. I'm lathering myself with sun cream because I'm burned like a bitch. But, you know, it's good to be here. Whose who's bright idea was it to record a podcast in this weather, Reese? Uh, do, do you remember the very first time we ever recorded? And then, like, for the three weeks after, it was always, like, blistering sunshine. And you would like, guys, just let's, let's just record today. And we, Stuart, Stuart kept mentioning how hot it was. Well, <laughs> we've gone back to that. Memories all alone in the moonlight, Estra. Welcome to the show. A year on, we're here still recording this bloody heat. I know, podcasts are a perfect summer, British summer of time weather. I'm glad you didn't come to me first, uh, chat, because see, when you immediately teed up, I had this massive burp to get out of the way. <laughs> and thankfully, you sidestepped to Reese because that would have been that would have been very rude of me. But thankfully, I didn't. But uh, yeah, I'll promise to be just as polite for the rest of the show. Do you think a, a variant of you have been burping at that exact moment? I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like that's the only, as long as he had hair, you know, I can't wait. There's got to be one variant of me with hair. And if he burps without saying, you know, pardon me, that's the price you pay. That's the money you go, that's that's, for you. I mean, so, 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 I've brought this, the topic of variants there. What, uh, what, what would you wish your variants doing right now? Um play golf to be honest with you if everyone listening we were supposed to record tonight at like uh, six well it was maybe six thirty, and i was like oh guys can i put it to six o'clock so that so i can go play golf and here we are half past three <laughs> we're recording so i'll be getting more golf in than i thought reese could yes. you beat you at a variant at golf I honestly think that it would be the highest uh, scored game of golf of all time, me versus me. Um, Dwight versus Dwight in the office. Yeah. (laughs) But we'll go to our next panel member, the winner of last week's episode with our guest David Campbell from First Time Films, Lewis Jameson. Do you think your variant would have won that episode? Do you think it would have pitched better than you? Or do you think you've you've just peaked all of our Lewis Jamesons in the, the multiverse timelines? If I am the version of me that's peaked... Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, there's definitely a variant out there that picked a better pick. Like, you know, I even doubted Brendan Fraser. I'll never do that again. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert for my pitch. And then, well, last but not least, Adam Markiewicz. Do think there's a variant of you that's actually good at singing? <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, it is, Jack. It is. It's me. So, I'm glad I that one um, Adam, Adam, have you ever been to a concert and someone's turned around and you and said, uh, wow, you're really good at singing? Reese, thanks for bringing it up that I didn't <laughs> ask it up beforehand. That's happened quite a few times to me, actually, yeah. Oh, that's nice. 
Oh, well. Anywho, we are talking about Loki, as aforementioned at the start of the show. And just before we kind of get into the episodes, we talk about the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. I'll just come around you briefly. Like, Lewis, I'll come at you first. Sum up in a few words your thoughts on this TV series of Loki. I watched the first two episodes and I was a bit like, oh, right, okay, this doesn't bode well, in my opinion. But as the show went on, I, I found myself really becoming engrossed. And that final episode, I don't want to get too much into it because I'm sure we'll talk about it more in, in detail later. There's a particular scene at the end involving three fantastic actors that I just found myself like leaning into the screen as if I was watching God himself. And I was just fascinated by the acting, so... Uh, at first, not so great, but holy shit, did it turn it around and uh, became it made me a big fan. Really excited. Excellent, good. I love the, the optimism and the positiveness about it. I'll come to you next, Jack. Bobby, just just a, a, a few words, your thoughts on the the TV show as a whole. Yeah, I really, really liked uh, Loki. I think I had a bit of the opposite problem with Lewis. I went in and I really, really liked what I was seeing, and a couple of the middle episodes maybe just kind of wobbled a bit for me. But yeah, like it's not my favourite MCU show we've had so far. I think One Division still kind of edges it out, but I really liked what I saw. What about your, yourself, Adam? Obviously, you, you, it's been known many a times that you uh, you know the comics of the Marvel Inside Out, blah, blah, blah. So knowing what you've seen in the TV show <laughs> and what, what you know, did it, did it live up to expectations? Were you happy with what we saw? Yeah. Um, like I always say, I quite like when Marvel... Uh, gets a bit experimental with the comic material doesn't just stick to what we've seen on the page so and they definitely did that here um and so i was i was quite satisfied with the their take on things i would say in the, the characters we get reese yourself you, you probably think batman's part of the marvel uh, universe <laughs> but uh, what's your thoughts on loki overall well first of all batman's not a superhero but we would get to that again <laughs> uh, i was a bit like lewis uh, first couple of episodes i was a bit unsure but um because i really wasn't going to enjoy it if all the variants looked exactly like Loki and it was just Tom Hiddleston acting on his own. I was really worried about that. But then as the show progressed, I was enjoyed it. But I would say finale was underwhelming for me and uh, like everyone else and the listeners, I much preferred uh, One Division. Not Falcon and Winter Soldier though. So it's two out of second best. natural. Oh, oh, read. But we move on. Move on. We're going to talk about episode one, and it picks up right where we left off in Avengers Endgame when Loki gets the Tesseract and boom, flies away, ends up in some desert, and then all of a sudden these people come out of this orange door that just spawned out of the desert of nowhere and take Loki to the TVA. And we get introduced to this new setting where he's, it's crimes against time. And if you go do something of your variant that's out with the timeline, you get brought into the TVA, you get pruned, zapped, and they reset the timeline and make sure everything's okay. And we, we see at this point, uh, sure, I'll come to you here, this, as as said before, this is the Loki from Endgame, but it's not actually from Endgame, so it's like the first Avengers movie, so it's still going on for glorious purpose and whatnot. I, I, I quite enjoyed that it, it's, it's picked up from that point and it's not got to the character development we saw an endgame. Yeah, um, when it was first announced that they were doing this Loki show and it was branching off from the endgame 2012 Loki, 
I must say, when they were all announced, Loki was probably the least, the, the show I was least excited for, just because I'm like, oh, really, Loki? We've done everything we can with them. Like, I don't think there's any more to add. Shows how much I know, and thank God that I'm not writing the MCU because they really, for me, knocked out of the park straight away. Um, I really like this episode and how it showcases, you know, what the series is going to be about and like the TVA. And uh, I, I wasn't a fan of how quickly Loki runs through his whole MCU arc because he basically watched a PowerPoint presentation on what's going to happen to him. I can live with it though. I understand it's like a necessity for the show, and I suppose. I'd prefer that than having the show have to go through all six episodes repeating the same arc. But um, but yeah, I really it was a strong opening for me. Um, I just really loved the aesthetic of the TVA and all the weird stuff that you were being shown. Like as as Adam says, like this is what the MCU is really good at is just making they take a left turn and show this really weird wacky side of them, and I I, I really loved it. Uh, since, since you've mentioned the good man himself, Adam, Adam, we'll come to you next. The, the, the TVA setting, very kind of bronze and, and monochromic, so to speak, for the, the colour and the kind of aesthetic of it. Were you, were you, were you quite happy with how the TVA was presented in, in, in the TV show as this big kind of, not, I wouldn't say doom and gloom, but when you saw it, you kind of did have that sense that they, they are an authority in some way. Yeah, there was almost a sense of what we would see as an audience is like truly extraordinary work, you know, working in time and that, but such simplified down to like a basic grey office. But then that works really well because you get this, the scene where like the Infinity Stones that are just like kicking about um, and people use them as paperweights. So it's just, it really fits in with that theme quite well. I quite liked it, not to that I don't want to bring up the comics and every time I come on the mic, but um, in the, the comics, they're, they're a bit of a joke, the TVA. They're kind of just they're always a bit of a punchline they get brought up very occasionally they come in in some storylines they're very basic and i think i really like that they they went with something that not a lot of people would have thought of and they've they've kind of expanded it out and gave us quite a a good organization yeah and uh we we see the tva as well reached you know kachow lightning mcqueen owen wilson is in the mcu he is mobius and he's assigned to tom hiddleston's loki in this what are you Owen Wilson, for some reason, was someone that I never thought to be in an MCU. Not I've always thought he's a kind of a bit of a, a joke actor. He's seen on quite a lot of serious things, but putting superheroes and and Owen Wilson together was never something I kind of thought. And we we see him in this kind of the no, I wouldn't say a detective kind of role, but some kind of like custodial officer type thing. And I I think he plays this himself really well throughout the entire show. I thought he was brilliant. I I really. I was I was actually quite upset when he got um, pruned, and I was thinking, oh, he would have been really good to to keep. Like, and then obviously you find out that when you get pruned, you go to this other place, and he, he ends up surviving. Um, so I was I was really glad for that because I thought he was absolutely fantastic, and you know I thought he played the role really well, and I'll be glad to see him again. And then uh, oh, well for the end in our episode one, the the whole reason that. Mobius kind of managed to get Tom Hiddleston's Loki not to be pruned and to help him with his work along the way as it turns out the rogue variant that's killing TVA officers and ruining different timelines is actually a Loki. So in this instance, it, it does feel you're getting that Tom Hiddleston versus Tom Hiddleston moment, which, which Reese was fear of at the start when we were speaking before. What was your thoughts on this? Was like kind of initially said that that was happening. It, it was a twist I kind of saw coming, but I never thought that it would be a Tom Hiddleston. Um, not because I have like some sort of fucking 
amazing foresight. Like, no, I'm I'm a great writer. I wouldn't do that. I just it didn't like it just wouldn't sit right to me if it's just Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston, and more Tom Hiddleston. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan, but I can only handle so much Tom Hiddleston. But one thing that did bug me was the fact they were called Minutemen, and I just got flashbacks to Fallout Four and Preston Garvey telling me that stuff underneath <laughs> my head. Oh, I always always need to go to different settlements and follow it for, and we had to go to different settlements in Moki. There you go. I'm tying that in as much as I possibly can. What a fucking segue! <laughs> <laughs> but in episode two, so we find the I'll, I'll come to you, Adam, here with the the relationship and the character building of Tom Hiddleston's Loki and Mobius Owen Wilson kind of begins as they're trying to track down this rogue variant of Loki, and they're kind of wondering where she's where. Oops, where Loki is hiding <laughs> all of this and uh, how, how are they going to possibly find her? Did you like the kind of relationship starting to, to build here? Yeah, I thought I liked the way he did that throughout the show. It would give us like kind of different themes in each episode. A lot of, I think there was a lot of like relationship building themes. Um, I really liked the tone of their relationship. I actually thought we got kind of better buddy cop um, almost... Uh, episode that we got in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the Marvel's buddy cop show, but however, uh, <laughs> I, I did really enjoy it. Um, I just think they played really well off each other on screen. I think you saw that right from the first episodes, and I think uh, it was definitely one of the more enjoyable parts of the show for me was the relationship. Yeah, and obviously we, we, we see them at uh, one point, they kind of find the the Nexus event, this rogue Loki's at, and they go to this shop for this big thunderstorm earthquake things about about to happen we find out that the rogue variant is actually not another tom hiddleston loki it is a female loki going by the name of sylvie i was i was pretty surprised that i was i was fully expecting it to be a a, a tom hiddleston versus tom hiddleston bit here stuart but we, we find ourselves with sylvie being the, the rogue variant of loki is causing mischief to the TVA. What what was your initial thoughts when when she first appeared on your screen? Oh, I loved it. Like um, I suppose, like if you were looking for it, like they kind of lean heavily into like the twist of it being a female Loki because they always talk about the the variants. Are he like we have to stop him? He's gonna get the upper hand, and she only shows up like for the last five minutes of the episode. But man, like what five minutes she has are incredible. Like she immediately shows up, and you know doesn't even reveal the plan but like you suddenly see like the rooms full of the bombs the um the reset charges that have been like the macguffin of the series so far and they all start firing everywhere and she just waves and leaves like i loved that cliffhanger i absolutely loved it it's definitely the best cliffhanger from any of the mcu tv shows so far like i have not wanted to like get to the next episode of a show like that for quite a while like she just immediately as soon as she comes on the screen she like completely makes it her own, and I really, uh, from that point on, that I was sold on uh, Sylvie. What about yourself, Emily? Uh, obviously, so Sophia De Martino is uh, uh, plays Sylvie. What, what was your thoughts to kind of character presentation, the way they kind of built up? So it was from the moment you find out that this rogue variant, all the way through episode two to the ending, and the way she she gets presented out of being who she is. Were you, were you a fan of how this came about? Yeah, I was. Um... I was a little bit tired when I was watching the last episode because I think it was like one o'clock in the morning when I was watching episode two. Um, but when it was kind of that, that reveal came in the end of the episode, I was like, wow, holy shit. But one thing that I quite appreciated was that she was set up in a very short amount of time, granted two episodes, and was genuinely seemed like a real 
big threat. Like, obviously not like a Thanos-level threat, but there was, like, a genuine level of, oh, shit, she could fuck some shit up. Pardon the words, but, like, I genuinely felt like she could be a real threat, and I, I the way that they were portraying that, it's perfect. And we, we, we kind of see, like, when, uh, when the reveal happens, and she's kind of showing the, the, the powers that her version of Loki has. We kind of see the, the, the kind of the, the, the strength, so to speak, when she's able to kind of put herself into different, like, bodies and just act out herself in amongst different people, so to speak. Does that, Jenk, that just kind of showed at that point, did you get the impression that, wow, Sylvie is, like, ten times stronger than what Loki actually is? Well, no, um, but only because... When I watch a show, I always think that the protagonist is always the strongest, and he has to find that within himself. That's the way all, all pretty much all superhero shows or movies go. That they have to find it, or anything that's feel good, they have to find it within themselves, and they're actually really strong. So I didn't get that sense. But what I would say is the, the way that they delivered it. With uh, first, I was, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be Tom Hiddleston versus Tom Hiddleston. It's going to be rubbish. Then I was thinking oh, it's going to be Tom Hiddleston versus a bunch of different people that, because she takes the form of different people. So I thought, well, that's how they're going to do it. So it is Tom Hiddleston versus Tom Hiddleston, but you won't see the two of them battling. That's, at least that's better. And then obviously when you get the grand reveal and it's, it's Sylvia thinking, well, this is brilliant. Um, but I didn't get the sense that, she, obviously, I, I think that's what the show was alluding to, but I, I, I personally, as a viewer, can never get that, that feeling. And we, we we see at the end of episode two, she pretty much like goads uh, our Loki, I'll call Tom Hiddleston our Loki, to following her to wherever she's going to go to take down the TVA or whatever. And Loki follows her on her, on her many way, and we get on to episode three, and I'll I'll come to you here, Lewis. We kind of first start to see the further kind of relationship building and character building of. Sylvie and our Loki, Tom Hiddleston, we're kind of starting to see the Tom Hiddleston's Loki kind of get to that point of where he was at at Endgame, where he was not not that he was not a bad guy, but like he's starting to show more heart and he's showing that he's kind of doing what he did because of pain and jealousy and whatnot. We're kind of seeing the good-hearted Loki that maybe he actually is. My only my only problem with that was I felt maybe it was kind of a bit of a sudden switch at that point after. He saw the, the the slideshow of his life in episode one. But are you happy that he's at that point now and how Sylvie's been shown in that relationship? I think it was kind of difficult for the writers to deal with that because I think I, I mentioned in maybe in one of the WandaVision pitches talking about I quite liked Loki's um, character arc, but this obviously isn't Loki from the end of Endgame. This is Loki from the Battle of New York. So he's a different Loki. And at first I wasn't, like that switches, you said, immediately happened. I was a bit like, well, that doesn't really make a lot, lot of sense. And there was a couple of things that I didn't particularly like in the, in, in the exposition of these episodes. It just kind of, like, that didn't rub me the wrong way. I was just like, right, okay, I guess I can forgive that because this is a very convoluted show with time travel and timelines and multiverses and so on. I can get past that. Um, but I did quite like that they were trying to kind of give this idea that you know, there's some similar traits that all Loki share, but these two were to be the ones different. So I guess that's maybe the framing to, to create that later on in the show was this sudden drastic change, which kind of did rub me the wrong way, but I get it. I get it. You've only got so many episodes now. I, I, what I'd, I'd say, Adam, one of the problems I found in, 
in episode three was that I found that at points it kind of it, it dragged a bit, so to speak, to actually to get to the point where they're needing to get. So obviously they want to build that relationship between Loki and Sylvie, and then we we, we see on the train that um, it becomes Karen that uh, Loki's bisexual is great. She great to see in the inclusivity of TV in 2021 nowadays is all really good. But there's a a lot of the points before that I did feel as if it just kind of dragged on for where it needed to get to that point. Yeah, I think I can, I definitely agree with that. I think there was a sense that they they put them in a situation and they wanted that to be the entire of the episode. And then they kind of realised maybe there wasn't quite enough content just with the world, the environment they'd created. So they were going to have to add some filler. And I think that did show, I think, did they have to commit to it for the full episode? Maybe, I think with the style they were going for, you know, the kind of reveals you got each episode, that it did, that kind of stuck with that style. Um, like not revealing too much, but then it you kind of reveal at the end, and then okay, this is what's happening the next episode. Here's an idea of it, kind of thing. So I think I think it it worked, but I do agree that there was this was probably maybe the episode that dragged the most for me as well. Yeah, it was a bit filler, I think. And one thing that kind of just dawned on me now is that Disney were not afraid in other shows like The Mandalorian to make you know twenty minute thirty like thirty minute episodes. So I don't see why they couldn't have just done something like that here and maybe just had a bit more dialogue between the two characters and have that be the episode, them two kind of, bat- like, having a battle of the wits, so to speak. Um, I'm not quite sure why Disney just didn't do that. Uh, and then, Stuart, we kind of see it uh, from the train onwards, the, kind of, the episode really does pick up, and I really enjoyed what we saw from this moment onwards, where we kind of, they had to fight in the train, they get kicked out of the train during the fight and whatnot, and they're in, they're in this Nexus event already, they need to get onto this kind of ship to get to the TVA or whatever it is they were looking to do to take it down. But we, we say at this point, I remember we had a discussion about it at, about this scene and I speculated whether Loki had one of the Infinity Stones because we see the kind of actual power that Tom Hiddleston's Loki has. So do you think there was like, obviously it's turned out that that never really was the case and it was just Loki's power. Do you think that had anything to do with the relationship between Selby clutching the straws, maybe seeing what he could do, or do you think he was just maybe perhaps nerfed in the movies beforehand and they wanted to make him stronger in his own TV show to be that kind of hero of the, the TV series? I don't know. Like, it's, it's funny you bring up the idea of like Loki getting nerfed like in the movies. I actually think he's actually been nerfed in the show because see if you're like, you look at how, how he fights in Avengers, the first Avengers film, like, he can go toe-to-toe with Captain America, which is, like, no mean feat, because, like, they kind of have a little bit of a battle, and he can kind of fight against Thor for a little bit, and then we saw in the previous episode, he's getting thrown about some Asda by, like, some trucker. Like, so I was actually, when I was watching that, I was like, why is Loki just, like, getting ragdolled about? So, and then, obviously, like, referring to, like, the the end uh, scene of this episode um, where like he's putting buildings like back up like Doctor Strange I'd, I think they probably just kind of like were making it up as they go along like, I think Loki's always had like a bit of a kind of vaguely defined power set like we all know he can make illusions and um, you know do stuff like that but that's really it and he's a bit stronger because he's like from Asgard compared to like humans but like it's nice to see them add stuff but at the same time it's a bit jarring to to like add it out of nowhere so I didn't 
it was another th- it was another thing of this episode that I didn't really like. This was my least favourite episode out of the whole show. I really I really didn't like it at all. Um I rewatched it just yesterday and it was a little bit better. But no, like it all just seemed kinda like point A to point B and nothing nothing really mattered because all you really find out is that all the T V A workers are variants and I feel like that could have been like Lewis said, like I feel like that could have been like established in ten minutes as opposed to making a whole episode about it. So, I don't know. Like, it was just a bit jarring as a whole, the whole episode. I was just going to say, um, do you all think it's funny that we're getting, we had, a, like, a bit of magic kind of explained to us, a bit of magic in the MCU explained to us in WandaVision, and now we're getting a bit of magic explained to us in Loki, and there's Doctor Strange coming out. Do you think this is going to be, we should be taking notes, this is important for later? <laughs> it's like we're playing a, a Telltale game, and it's at the top left corner of our screen. Like, so and so will remember this. I feel like uh, magic now. That I feel like they're getting, they're safe enough with with magic that they just like to say, "Oh, this is magic now." Because I remember when like Thor and Doctor Strange first came out, it's clearly magic, but they're like, "Oh no, no, this is just a different type of science," which I could kind of understand because I'm sure if you like showed the primitive species like a mobile phone, they'd be like, "Oh," because essentially like a bit of glass with like that you can do anything on. So I can understand the whole magic is science argument, but magic is such a huge part of the Marvel comics that it's just safer to just say, uh, you know, that, that shit's magic. Just call it what it is. <laughs> and, uh, Reese, before, before we get on to episode four, we had uh, extensive discussion on the kind of last five minutes of this episode because we were we were, we were quite... Not, I, I, I mean, we didn't go so far to say blown away, but we really did enjoy the cinematography that happened in that kind of final scene when they're running through the, the collapsing city as the next event was about to occur. Did, did, what, what what was your thoughts on it? Did you enjoy the cinematography of the TV series as a whole? Yeah, I mean, something that I absolutely love in TV and film is the cinematography and like scenes like in the in this Nexus event where you know the the buildings there, I, th- I think the ship sort of explodes and it, it just it just looked beautiful. Like the colors were so vibrant, it was amazing. But um, when you mentioned earlier on about the TVA and it being monochrome and that. Um, they never really mentioned, you know, when it pans out and you you see this like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like just like this infinite world of like, I, I it's really hard to describe. But it was just, I was just like, it was like breathtaking to look at, and I was like, this is just that's just brilliant. I, I think that the cinematography and the show, like across the whole thing, uh, all six episodes, I think every episode has at least one scene where you can go. That just that just looks really good. Uh, overall, as a as a show, I thought the cinematography was fantastic. Now you you love cinematography, but one thing you don't love is incest, and that takes us <laughs> on to our favorite, my favorite episode of Loki, episode four. I was completely taken aback by everything that happened. I'd go far go as far as to say this is probably my favorite MCU TV episode out of all three series period. But as I said, we don't like incest, but Adam, I'll come to you when we're talking about this. Not, not because of incest. But <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 it just so you're on my, on my list for discussion first. But uh, a romantic interest has seen the spark between Loki and Sylvie. But obviously, it's not about him loving Sylvie. If you look deep into it, it's about Loki actually starting to love himself. Were you a fan of how that was being portrayed? Or were you just like, ugh? Uh, I was a bit taken. Uh, I, I kept thinking of the bit in The Simpsons where Homer imagines um, having himself 
to <laughs> love it himself and the scene of the kissing and then the way Homer baby's going about that kept coming to my head. Um <laughs> I do think it's a it's a bit it's a bit stranger you think of the comic origin of Sylvia, which is that Loki created her. Um so that's a bit dodgy. But uh, I I get I guess I, I got it in this. Um it kinda made sense. I thought, you know, not I wanna get jumped too far ahead of myself in discussion i thought it would just be a hint of and we never really got a conclusion to it and i thought it would just be the kind of message of like you say like getting to love himself um but i, I understood where they came from I, I can see why again you know we're talking about marvel kind of going off the uh going off the beaten track with the comic material and i thought this was another time they did that and yeah it worked more than it didn't for me so we, we see at this point when the kind of romantic interest sparks the next event is just about to happen, and the TVA come in, whisk them away back back to the head offices, and Sylvie's captured. Loki's back with Mobius. Mobius thinks Loki's betrayed him, and Loki reveals to Mobius Reese that he is himself a variant, and he's getting, he gets put in this kind of time prison. And after the kind of work that that Mobius kind of digs into, actually believes Loki that that he is a variant and kind of the, the world around them isn't what it should be. Are you kind of glad that there was actually a kind of a character that brought maybe, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the first character, so I guess Thor does trust them at one point, but a, a clear indication of trust being put in Loki by Mobius, mm-hmm. Jake, that just shows the kind of the the character development you see even for, like, for both Mobius and Loki from the start of the show to this point. Well, I feel like Mobius has to trust Loki from the start anyway, like because obviously if any other agent was assigned to him, um, they would have just put him in a prison or, or, or pruned him or whatever. Um, but he, you know, they, they, they he, Mobius uses Loki to uh, try and find Sylvie, so he has to put an element of trust in him there. And then Loki ultimately betrays that trust, and for anyone else, that would be a uh, right. That's it. You're not getting a second chance, but Mobius being, you know, the great guy that he is, uh, he listens to what Loki has to say, uh, and he, he doesn't take it as, oh, you're just trying to trick me. He, you know, he actually he lo- he looks into it, believes him, and then comes to save him, and then, well, we all know what happens. But I think um, it does show great character development from uh, Mobius, uh, Mobi- sorry, and um, for Loki, you know. It, Maybe he's actually a trusting guy for no. I mean, everyone is obviously uh, the god of mischief, but maybe you know now he's uh, a trusty guy. And we 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 see Lois at this point. Once Mobius does trust him, they come back to the TV office and uh, Ravona, Ramona, I think it's Ravona. I can't mind. Is there and is ready to take them away and kind of Mobius at that point is like you know what no this this what what's happening here isn't right and then for bam like train spotting but begby just killing anyone prunes mobius boom gone the second big shock of the show were you surprised that at at this point anyway that you maybe the assumption is that mobius has been killed off yeah it was quite a drastic change it wasn't something like it's completely out of left field and obviously that's obviously to engage the audience and make them go oh shit um, I wasn't really a fan of Owen Wilson, but he starts to win me over at this point. So I was when he gets pruned. I'm like, oh man, I just started to like him. What's going on here? But obviously it works. It's so at left field. I got instantly ingrained. I wanted to know what the fuck was going on. Why was this the case? Obviously 
almost confirms your suspicions. Obviously, at this point, you start becoming a bit suspicious of TV, what's going on. And when something like that happens, the audience goes, right, well, no, nah, I'm not buying this TVA crap anymore. You guys are the villains. Let's go. Let's keep going. So, yeah, no, it's completely a left field. They've made me feel some stuff, which is rare for me. Um, so, no, I like it. <laughs> and we, we, we see from here on, uh, and Adam, Loki and Sylvie get finally taken to the, the, the characters being alluded to for the entire episode, the timekeepers. And then it turns out that the timekeepers are, are there for actually two minutes and the head gets chopped off one of them, it turns out to be robots. So the timekeepers aren't the, the be-all and end-all of the TVA. They aren't the, the gods of the TVA, so to speak. But as someone that knows their Marvel, I I, I, I know I read a lot of stuff about people not being happy with how the timekeepers were being presented and how it was just kind of used as to add on to something else. What, what was your thoughts on it? I was, I was quite um, happy with the way they were used, to be honest. Like, in the comics, they're they're kind of just there. They're just like a kind of shit, the Uatu, the Watcher, etc. So like you just they're, they're like a, just a worse version of that. You know, people don't think they're timekeepers and they think of people looking out over the universe kind of thing. Um, so for me, like I liked the way they they played it. Um, I thought it worked really well. I thought you did get the shock. Like as much as I knew that they weren't like amazing characters, I still thought it would be them. Um. So then, when it was debut, you're you're you definitely a bit thrown, um, and I think that was good. Like you want um you want a show that takes material that already exists. You want it to be able to shock you, and I think you know it's not the first uh, yeah it's not the first time that Marvel's done that um, with this. So I'm glad, and hopefully it won't be the last. And sure, the 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 other big shock that happens here is after the head of the Timekeeper gets chopped off, and boom, robot Ravona from out of nowhere, like an RKO from Randy Orton, prunes Tom Hiddleston <laughs> and you're, you're, you're left flabbergasted, like gobsmacked. I, I, for some reason, I didn't see this coming, and at this point, we assume that our Loki's gone and maybe Sylvie replace him or, or whatever it is, but this leads to a first mid-credit scene and it turns out that he's not dead, he's been in, he's in this new place and he looks up and he sees like four or five different Loki the variants in front of them. Were you were you happy with the first mid credit scene of the TV series? Were you, were you happy they went down that kind of direction of Loki being pruned? Yeah, absolutely. When um, when like uh, Owen Wilson got pruned, I was like, oh no, like like he is dead. And I was like, I actually had a split second of like, I don't know if I want to watch this anymore if Lo- if Owen Wilson's not going anyway. Because I did and I I say that as somebody who really doesn't actually like Owen Wilson like in anything else that he's in. But then. Loki gets Whoa. pruned and sorry, Reese. McQueen. You don't like Lightning McQueen. Maybe Cars Three. Ah oh, well, Cars Three is a beauty, to be fair. There you go. See. Continue. Thank you. Um, me and Reese friendship unbroken. But um, <laughs> when Loki get pruned, I actually and this is this is how like unexpected the show is because ordinarily when something like that would happen, I'd be like, ah, oh, he's still alive. But there was a kind of like, oh shit, like is that Loki dead? Are we about to like? Like have Sylvie go and try and find another Loki or something like that. That was my thought process, and then the credit scenes, the credit scene happened. Um, and if we were if we were only going to get one credit scene for this series, and we did, I'm glad it was this one because not only do they, you know, give you, oh, don't worry, Loki's fine, but also Richard E. Grant's there, like in a leotard playing old Loki. You've got Kid Loki, and you've got Alligator Loki. I was like, yep, all right, all in. 
is it next week already? Loved it. Absolutely loved that. And as from that from that moment on to episode five, when we get introduced to the void and Elias, the big uh, black dog guarding the void and what hides behind the void and whatnot, and we we see all sorts of kind of Easter eggs, so to speak, like various props and references throughout just the Marvel universe. We see Mjolnir, we see Throg, the frog version of Thor, we see a yellow jacket, helmet, egg statue, we see the Thanos copter. So we see a lot of stuff that was maybe referenced in the comics before in this in this point here. And Adam will come to you again. The the void and Elias. I I was I like the setting of the void. I did not like Elias being used in this kind of capacity. I don't know if maybe maybe it's my, my limited knowledge of it. I feel that a lot more could be done with Elias, and to me, it was just it was just used cheaply. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. It felt a bit big grey monster. It felt a bit DC EU. Um, you know, I'm sure far shots here or anything, but they love a big grey monster at the end of a film, and I think that you definitely got that initial disappointment of, oh, it's a big grey monster. It's not something we've really seen um, from Marvel. Can they be forgiven for it? I think it works well as a plot device. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe it is a bit of a waste, but I think I think overall the way they, the way they use them to interact with the characters we get, I think it does work well. And we, you know, as much as if you've got a big grey monster, you know, you use them in an epic finale, and we did get that. So I think I was still quite satisfied with his appearance. And uh, Stuart, we, we we see as well, and this is this is he's meeting the different Loki variants. He's seeing the Void. He's seeing Elias. Sylvie's still the TVA being chased by Ravona, and. The the dialogue that happens leads to a mention of Sylvie's kind of only has bad memories, and then when she starts to think of a good memory, it it seems that that good memory leads her to self prune to be with Tom Hiddleston's Loki, and that that kind of further leans on the the romantic relationship that starts to build between between these two. We we happy at that continuation there. We happy that that was the kind of the more well what we think is the motive to head down to find Tom Hiddleston's Loki. Yeah, I do like um, Sylvie and Loki's relationship. It is a bit rushed, but I can forgive it because, as you know, we've only got however many episodes. Maybe if they hadn't wasted so much bloody time walking on that planet that was literally <laughs> crashing into a moon, you know, maybe if they'd have sped that up, had some urgency about the oncoming apocalypse. But anyway, no, I really like that um, that episode. Like, it's kind of it's kind of split between everything that's going on and the, the development between Loki and Sylvie. You do kind of get that sense of, you know, we're in this together now, we'll see it to the end. Like, even they're unsure. Um, and I think that's, I think they're both, because as we know, like, this is Loki from Avengers. This is before kind of Thor begins to treat him more as an equal and other people start to warm to Loki and, like, he warms back to them. I think this is the first kind of real relationship or, like, real bond that Loki's ever had with anybody she kind of treats him as an equal and he kind of responds to that by treating her as an equal so as we see like it's good because this whole episode's about all the other Lokis backstabbing each other so it's nice to see these two Lokis work together and form something more yeah, Lewis, we, kind of, we kind of see some bits of like kind of fun in this episode as well obviously Sylvie gets found by Mobius turns out he's not dead and he's in 
a racing car and we, we, we see the, the, the subtle reference when you turn uh, right to go left, I think it is, when he's kind of spinning around. So all, all that all that great stuff going on. But we do see Loki betraying, Loki betraying, Loki betraying, Loki when they're in the kind of the war hangar, when they're hiding away from a life, a life to kind of <clears throat> strategize on what they want to do. And we do get the kind of touching goodbye between Loki and Mobius at the end of this episode when we it's kind of decided that Loki and Silver are going to take on a life to get to whatever is behind a life in the void, whatever it is. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what's there at that point, but like the the, the friendship that's kind of made to the end there, we've, we've spoken about it quite a bit, but I was I I, I kind of had a tear in my eye when they kind of hugged each other and they said goodbye, my dear friend. I was like, ah, what a guy. Was there a question there, or are you just doing over Owen Wilson? I just want you to agree with me. That's, that's oh I mean. right. Um, well, I mean, I I'm not gonna sit there and say I cried because, <laughs> as you guys know, I don't cry. But this definitely did seem like the kind of the start of the crescendo of that sort of turning for this version of Loki. You know, as much as I loved seeing the other Lokis as well as Alligator Loki that seemed quite small for an Alligator. But um, it, it really does kind of come full circle. And I think that moment's quite important when it just says, you know, you're my friend and all this kind of stuff. It's very, when you kind of conceptualize that with understanding that this is Loki from Avengers 1. This isn't a reformed version. This is the guy that's coming in and really making a change. And it was a quite a powerful moment and a great way to kind of close the episode. So, yes. I do agree with you, but no, I did not cry. That's a shame. That's a real shame. But, Reese, we can't talk about this episode without talking about Richard E. Grant. It's the classic Loki. And we see how strong Loki can be when like, he's able to recreate a fully envisioned Asgard. And it just it shows just how, how great Loki can be. I thought Richard E. Grant was amazing for his entire episode. What was, what was your thoughts on his episode appearance and his portrayal of Loki? Well, Jack, it's interesting you asked me this because uh, I don't know who that guy is, but I did think he did a great job. So <laughs> um, I thought that, you know, like you said, the way that he can portray uh, how much power Loki could actually have uh, when he's older uh, was excellent. But uh, I'm not going to fanboy over him like you guys because I generally have no idea who he is. Would, would anyone that knows who Richard E. Grant is like to come in and talk about how great he was or how shit he was? Just it's a, an open forum. You can can take it away if you enjoyed his performance. I really enjoyed his performance. I think um, when he was kind of talking about like, oh, like I survived Thanos and then I just like kind of just was I isolated myself for for years and years and years and then like he was he was like I'm, like he started to miss Thor. And then as soon as he like he decides, you know what, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go and see him as soon as he does that T V A shows up. And like you always get this kind of feel about Loki that like he doesn't care about Asgard and he doesn't care about his family and everything like that. But there's like Richard E. Grant at the end, he he literally builds up Asgard all from memory, like completely accurate in order to like save somebody else. Like it was really I really liked his performance. Like it had he was he had good comedic timing, he had good dramatic act and I was just, I really liked what uh, what he brought it's a shame that he was only in it for that one episode well one episode we have one episode left Stuart we're on the finale 
And before we can like, get on to it, we, we see glimpses of these characters in the film finale. I'll, I'll come to you, Reese. here. We see Ravona, B-15. Not, not, not that they were intri- intri- integral. I don't even know that's the right word. Integral. That, that's it, to the plot. But they were they were there, and they kind of aided the plot to get along the way. We're happy with how they kind of... I don't want to call them side characters, but we're happy how these characters were used in furthering the story of the TV series. I was happy with how they were used as a whole across the the six episodes, but uh, they really did not tie up any loose ends with the side characters. Like, Hunter B-15's away recruiting all the guys in the TVA to tell them that they're they're variants and to join her army or whatever. I don't know where Ramona is. Uh, You know, they they really didn't tie up any loose ends with them, which really disappointed me. And I know that that's because of what happens in the post credit scene, perhaps, but I still like for when a, a series ends, for the side characters especially, to have the, the loose ends tied up. So I was a bit frustrated at the end of this episode. And the the, the big the big finale reveal we, we see here, Lewis, it's he who remains and is believed to be Kang the Conqueror. Are, you, are we happy to see this being Kang's kind of first introduction to the MCU, knowing that when Marvel were detailing the, the phase four of the MCU, that he is the main antagonist in Ant-Man Quantumania? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's quite made obvious to, to the to the fans, but I think one thing that's quite key is that in, in a later episode, in the latter one, is kind of he's a variant of Kang. So it kind of it gives still a room of mystery as to what exactly details this specific variant, why he's different. So uh, it was quite a good reveal, and it definitely kind of still leaves some mystery for the audience and keen comic readers and all that jazz to still get a, a little bit of, like, ooh, what's happening next? And it's quite a good story story device, the kind of this use of this variant um, is a, to keep a mystery and to keep an allure around characters that, you know, most people... Well, I shouldn't say most people that, that like hardcore fans would be like, well, I know exactly who that's going to be. He's like, well, hang on here a minute, buddy. There's a little, there's a little change here, a little chance here. And I appreciate that. See, I, I, I think uh, John Major absolutely carried this this episode for me. I, I, I enjoyed it, but he was like a, like a, a, a shining light. Couldn't throughout. agree more with you, Jack. That, oh, oh, what a scene. <laughs> In the finale, oh, what well, I've seen, but um, I'll let you continue to dole on because as I dole on Owen Wilson for you, you can dole on John for me. <laughs> but, but, as, as you made mention before, Lewis, it seems to be in connection with other variants. He's the, the he who remains, he's the one that's keeping this timeline together, Adam, and he reveals that if he was to be killed, as that is kind of Sylvie's plan for the be all and end all to kind of end the TVA. The, the other Kangs throughout the multiverse or, the, or ones that are more villainous or ones that want to destroy multiverses and universes as a whole. But Sylvie's got a plan. It turns out she had this plan all along and she betrays our Loki, kills Kang to see her mission and breaks reality, causing the multiverse to occur. Not surprised that this happened, but we're happy how it turned out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it, it was like a suitable enough impact um, of like Sylvie's betrayal. I don't, I, you did feel like there was quite a lot of character development, and you know, could she see the bigger picture? You know, which is very difficult to do when you know your life is defined by the, the TVA. Um, 
but then you know the answer is no not really um well loki obviously can i did think i i, I enjoyed this i really enjoyed this episode like like i, I felt I, you know, I enjoyed all the episodes this one i've definitely enjoyed quite a lot i did feel like when we got to the end of it you know i felt a bit like i was waiting for more and i understand why and i agree with Reese, didn't because they didn't tie up the side character plot lines they didn't tie up any plot lines really so they left everything open which did feel a bit disappointing um but I definitely felt like the the impact was there. I did think it's it's funny um, that kind of Kang, the Conqueror, is getting his spotlight. As in the comics, he was kind of Thanos before Thanos, but you know, with a bit more like comedic failing because Marvel didn't really think as big of as anything like the kind of Infinity Gauntlet back then. So it's 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 nice to see him get a kind of reverse order. He's now in the limelight after Thanos, when in the comics it was him first. But before before we get on to our, our pitches to improve season one, I'll come to you lastly, Stuart. We see Sylvie sends Loki back to the TVA, and when he realizes he's back in the TVA, he kind of has that kind of oh fuck moment. This the the universe and world itself just completely fucked. We we need to do something about it. So he's kind of gathering himself and he's running through the TVA and he finds Mobius, he finds B fifteen, saying this big threat is coming. We need to gather an army, we need to get ready, we need to fight. And it turns out that Mobius doesn't remember who he is. B-15 doesn't remember who he is. They think he's some analyst that works on the floor above him. And then when he kind of in that panic, and then when it turns around and sees a big model statue of Kang and it looks like he is the boss of the TVA in this episode. And at that point, it's you're like, oh, this season isn't ending here. This is There's something more going to happen. We get that in the post credit scene where they confirm a season two is happening for Loki. Are you happy that this isn't like a a mini-series, so to speak, like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, where they were only commissioned for one thing, but this Loki seems to be a, a continual TV series that could roll on to, as we're getting a second, but maybe even a third or a fourth. We don't know how far it will go, but it's, the, the intention is it's kind of heading down that way anyway. Um, I'm happy that we're getting a season two, because obviously things are not wrapped up Um yeah, like, uh, I was really on board. Like, when, as you said, when Loki comes back to the TVA and he sees that big statue of uh, former Prime Minister John Majors, as uh, you called him, uh, in the TVA, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. I knew you'd get it. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a comment about Reese yawning halfway through uh, Jack's I was lecture. stretching. <laughs> I was stretching. I was like, I see what I was doing. I was like... They might have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Jack, I'm stretching my back. Um, no, like I am happy that we're getting more of this because obviously everything isn't wrapped up. A lot of people aren't happy that this isn't wrapped up, I think, because like One Division and um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, they wrapped up their stories nice and neat. I'm glad that this is... Because essentially this is... I'm assuming that this is Marvel saying, hey... This is the new. This is the new phase. It's all multiverse. Like you've got that big shot of like the multiverse all branching out into all these like infinite little branches. Um, you know what I liked about this show as well is how we've just had the Infinity Saga. You know, which took twenty odd films to get to, and they touted Thanos as the biggest badass in the galaxy, and then they immediately are saying, "Ah, oh, the Infinity Stones are worthless now." And I like that because like it shows that Marvel's pushing forward whilst it probably is annoying to a lot of new fans that you have to watch everything in order to kind of like go on the ride with them 
it's worth it because man like what they're setting up is just incredible i can't wait for not just like doctor uh, not just loki but doctor strange like as we were saying you know spider-man and all the in one division all these different things that are branching towards the multiverse i am so blown away that not only did they decide to announce their plans basically on a, on a tv show but it just shows the amount of support they have and, and the amount of faith they have in their own ideas that everyone is going to like what they're where they're going to take us so yeah i'm absolutely 100 percent on board with a season two i think if any show was going to get a season two this is the one that needs it the most well there we have it there is our season one review of loki and it's now time to get to the bit that we are known for and that is to pitch to make loki better and i will go in the order that the pitches were sent to me so first up stuart can you make loki better than it already is i'll sure try as i said the only one of the the, the few criticisms that i had of the show was um i just really did not like episode three it really kind of, like I said, episode two ended this big, huge cliffhanger. And I was really chomping about to see what was going to happen. And then episode three happens and it's just kind of nothing. Like, it's really not anything worthwhile at all. It's almost like they kind of wasted an episode, in my opinion. So what I would like to do is just change that episode. I won't get too much specifics, but basically I would like episode three to just have a bit more of a a bit more pace a bit more of an urgency because sylvie just set off all these like multiverse bombs in the timeline they literally say somebody's bombed the sacred timeline and i was like wow that must be so incredible to see so my pitch for episode three is we get to see that so the episode would start they're at the tva you know ravona's about to prune them but then loki gets them out of their ricky tick but they don't just go to lamentus they go so many places they go everywhere like imagine basically because of her bombs any time is an apocalypse now like every everywhere's chaos basically i would like my episode three to be like that rick and morty episode where they're on the, the run from the council of ricks and they have to go to all those different um dimensions just to like shake them off that's what i'd like because sylvie's trying to shake loki and loki's trying to shake like owen wilson because I think that was another big casualty of episode three was there was no Owen Wilson. Like I loved the dynamic, the dynamic that they had together. So what I wanted to want to get rid of that. I want more of that. So basically, my episode three is it's a big chase throughout the multiverse. Um, you know, you get to see all different types of planets and all different types of apocalypses. You know, even take us to a couple of familiar apocalypses. Maybe take us to the snap. Maybe take us to like one of the other world ending avengers threats but yeah that's what i'd like basically just a chase through the multiverse uh with uh sylvie loki and uh, mobius so and in, in, instead of a, a dragged out episode three you watch something that's a bit more high octane something that keeps you at the edge of your seat as you're seeing the nexus and events implode the universe as it so is yeah, uh huh, and also it kind of gives weight to Sylvie's plan because, like she said, she's like, "Oh, I've, 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 this plan was years in the making," but you don't even kind of see it. You see like the setup to it. You don't see the, you know, the effect of it. So I think that's what I'd like to see as well. Excellent, very good. I'll, I'll open the floor to anyone that has questions for for Stuart and his pitch to speak now or forever hold your peace. Hi, Stuart. Long time, first time. Um, just. Two questions. Uh, one, 
how wild will the worlds get that they go to? Will they go to, you know, a world where the phones are people and people are chairs? Um, and also a, a more serious question, will we see a bit of interaction with, you mentioned the snap and things like that, will we see interaction with other Marvel characters? Will we see, will you feel like with Thanos, with the, if, if they went to the snap, you know, he's pretty much omnipotent when he gets all the stones. Do you think he would notice some kind of disturbance when he interact with them? Would we get a bit of that? Jack, you mind if I mind if I take this one from the fan? Hi, Adam. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I wouldn't. I'd, first of all, like out there places. I mean, Marvel's got so many. You know, I want I want Duck World. I want you know maybe Savage Land and everything like that. I'd like to see some of those like kind of really out there uh, realities. But I wouldn't. I don't want them like slap bang eye of the storm. Like you know they they crop up and Thanos is there with the gauntlet. Maybe just like take them to earth whilst everyone's getting snapped like in a, in a big city like i feel like because that the whole world the whole of the universe is like in an apocalypse at that point you could really take them anywhere as long as you see people getting dusted then that's fine i wouldn't want them to be like oh hey iron man like hey you know i just you know in the background of like somewhat obscure you know and just so that if you rewatch those episodes or those movies again you could think ha huh, you know 50 miles away Loki and Sylvie just popped up and they're getting chased by Owen Wilson. I feel like that would be a nice kind of like another layer on the already layered up uh, MCU cake. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, Stuart. Um, long time caller, first time listener. Um, question for you is <laughs> the the potential for something like this to maybe load into... I just thought, sorry, listen, it's got that. <laughs> <laughs> I was so far as he's episode three thing is a bit long, but I was wondering to sell me on this because I'm 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 there, but obviously there's there's other people still to go. Um we learn in, in episode six that Kang's from the thirty first century, so how would you deal with perhaps going to the future and maybe dabbling in some of the stuff that is yet to come not necessarily giving us spoilers or massive teases or something like that but just like appearing at different times in different movies that might be available is that something that you would particularly want or are you just like no it's too convoluted too difficult let's just kind of keep it keep it to what it is yeah um just kind of keep it keep it like keep it short and sweet like i don't want them i feel like if you if you put them you can still put them on uh, you could still put them on Lamentis. I personally wouldn't, but you could still get them there. It's just that Lamentis isn't the whole episodes because I just want a bit of urgency just to make sure the episode doesn't drag. I, I wouldn't want to like rope in like all these different aspects of the show, especially if that like especially with the surprise of uh, like Kang and he who remains at the end. I wouldn't want to touch him until like until they they bring him up in the episode. Um, so like it's just. I just at least keep it simple like it's not like that the whole I think the I think the reason this idea came from me was like when I watched the trailer for Loki it seemed like he was that's what he was going to be doing like dicking about in time like you see him like in all these scenarios and you think oh it's Loki with the Tesseract he's going to go all out I agree that they shouldn't do that like I feel like it's just going to be like you know we're, we're in to this apocalypse then we're straight back out because they are on the run and I suppose that's that makes sense for the tempad to run out eventually because they use it in so many trips as opposed to them just using one. I don't know if that answers your question, but thanks for listening, Lewis. Stay in school. Yeah, I probably should have. It was a bit late for me now. I'm going to dial on. Bye. 
Um, Stuart, I really like your pitch. Um, I, I think it'll be quite exciting. And like Adam, I would be very happy to see the chair people uh, make an appearance. But uh, I think that my only question for you is, how would you develop the relationship between Loki and Sylvie then if the whole ep- episode is action-packed? Because this episode is based pretty much solely on them identifying that there's a, a spark between them which causes the TVA to find them because it sends waves off and they've never seen anything like it before. So how would you develop that? I feel you could uh, develop it along the same lines. Like um, what I liked about um, the beginning, like you saw in Lamentis, was like their the way like they use their powers is quite complementary. Like in the plan to get on the train, like Loki disguised himself, but then Sylvie like enchants somebody. I'd like to see that a lot. Like if they basically keep getting landed slap bang in a war zone of all these apocalypses, just do that and like. They, they get a feel for each other of like, oh, you know, like our powers do work in tandem well with each other. And maybe like he then saves her and, and like he's like, oh, don't take it personally. I just want the temp, like they're trying, like he's like, oh, I just wanted to steal the tempad from you and vice versa. Like I still think you could, because the, the relationship's not really established enough yet. I know that there's that kind of slowdown on the train, but I feel like you could also, like once the tempad eventually runs out of juice, like you still get that conversation, you still get that. Well, we're stuck here. We're gonna die. You know, what's that old meme? A- ASL on MSN. You know, just, <laughs> uh, you know, you still get that conversation. So I feel like it still gets there. It's just a bit more well paced about it. Thank you. Very good. Answered your defence well, Stuart. It was good questions for the panel. And the next person to step up to the plate is Reese Cook. Take oh. it away, my friend. Hello there. Um, thanks wow. for having me. Um, okay, my uh, pictures are a lot more complicated than Stuart's, and uh, I, I hope you guys can keep up with what I'm saying because it's a lot of nonsense. Um, so essentially, my pitch boils down to that I want three more episodes because I don't think there was enough. Uh, and what happened in the the first season there for a season two, so. I, I just want three more episodes and just to wrap it up there at the end. Um, so instead of Sylvie and Loki fighting um, at the end, uh, she lures them there and betrays them because, which causes Loki to reevaluate his relationships, um, and it also means that there's no hope for a Loki incest porn step bro dynamic, which I'm very much glad because. Do not like them to being romantically involved at all. Um, so I mean, I'm content. I'm content. Sorry for what happens between Sylvie and Kang to still happen. Um, but uh, I don't. I want Loki to when he's pushed by Sylvie. I want him to go back to his own timeline, or certainly the timeline after the uh, after Endgame. Um, but when he gets there. This is where it gets a bit complicated. I want him to go back to his own timeline, but I also want him and uh, Mobius et al. Uh, to be there so that they can like form the continue where they've left off. So he says, so uh, he meets up with Mobius and he explains everything what's happened, and, uh, and then Loki says, "There's only one person that can save us." Boom. Next episode. So this is the first of the three episodes. Um, Loki 
attempts to enlist the help of Thor. Okay, the reason that this is important because it shows a real character development for Loki. You know, throughout the show, there was hints at character development for Loki, but they weren't real enough. They, they, they didn't really get that proper arc. So, you know, Loki being heartbroken by Sylvie and was left life was le- left lifeless. Oh my gosh, that's a sense. Um, and there was no arc. Uh, and I understand, you know, as Jack said earlier, it's, it's a metaphor for him loving himself, but we need a real character arc. Uh, showing weakness um, and asking his brother for help. So showing this side would be an actual character progression and not that half-hearted stuff that we got. Uh, anyway, reluctantly, Thor agrees to help him. And knowing that this is a tall order, and given that he's already with the um, Guardians, he he asks the Guardians to help him out, and they obviously trust him, and they say, sure, mate, next episode, episode two. Uh we get a full-on battle with the different Kangs fighting out against the Guardians and Loki. Um, as much as I thought Kang was excellent in the final episode, the dialogue battle would be better served in a versus Paul Bettany's vision. I want to see an actual fight scene between the Kangs. I think that would be exciting. Uh, um, during the fight, Loki and Sylvia are battling out, and Sylvia, you know, breaks down and says, "Oh, you know, she didn't want this to happen," and you know. There's Loki back in with her, her uh, suggestive ways. Uh, Loki runs off to an extinction event with her, and as Loki agrees, the episode ends. Boom! Next episode. Where am I? Uh, so it looks like Loki's betraying his brother and is still evil, and it, you know it's a good spot, a uh, good uh, cliffhanger for going into the final episode. So when he when he's out there, the whole tone of the episode or the whole tone of the Two episodes pass, changes to the more soft, and they have a conversation. Sylvia reveals that she didn't and doesn't actually care about any of the consequences. And at this point, Loki realizes she's beyond saving. So Sylvia, at this point, has the tempest and won't let him leave. And then they fight it out. Well, I kind of, uh, uh, and this time Loki wins, steals the tempest, abandons her on the extinction event, and goes back to help Thor. Eventually, uh, they defeat most, you know, if not all the Kangs. You can never really know because there's an infinite number of them. Um, and Loki and Thor are happy families for the, you know, for the first time. Proper happy families, good, good pals. Uh, Mobius gets a chance to look at his real life and ultimately decides that it would be, it's been too long and would be too difficult to go back. And he elects to stay at the TV, uh, TVA as the leader. Of, uh, and keeping the timeline in order, allowing for maybe a little bit more chaos than there had been. And uh, people who work at the TVA will uh, will now volunteer, as opposed to being variants under um, under Mobius's new rules. And then the episode ends. But post credit scene, boom! Julia Louis Dreyfus rocks up to the extinction event and says to Sylvie, "She'll save her if she agrees to join our team." And then the two of them walk through the thing and they leave the extinction event, which opens the door for so much more. And the purpose of the three episodes uh, is to change the narrative at the end. And uh, Loki is not and never has been a bad guy. He's always been misunderstood and wicked. His wicked behaviours uh, come from being in the shadow of his brother and as such their enemies. This new narrative shows what I think the show was trying to portray, that Loki is a good guy. But the arc in the show isn't good enough to show this. Plus, 
with my three episodes, it tees up exciting things for the future. Loki being able to team up with uh, Thor and the Guardians, uh, whilst Sylvie has the potential to team up with the Dark Avengers. And that, my guys, is my pitch. A, a, a lot, a, a lot to take in. It's it's uh, a con conclusivity you want. You want you won't want a second season. You want these three episodes to actually bring finality to what the TV show was originally for, but also branching out to other possibilities for what Loki and Sylvie can actually do. Yeah, certainly if there is a, a, a sequel to it, I would rather be in the form of a movie than another series. Um, you know, something with a bigger budget, more cast, so that you can have like Thor and all that in it as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm just interested to hear what you guys think about it. I'm also very interested to hear what the other three will have to say. So the floor is floor is open. I'm sure you've all got questions for Reese. Hi. Um, Hello. It's me. Me again. Yeah. Um, I, I like how you want some conclusivity. I agree. Like, we, we both had similar thoughts on the ending. My only worry, and, you know, I don't know if you agree with me here, do you not, do you not think with another scene of Loki and Sylvie escaping and then another uh, part of an episode where they're, you know, they're, ta- they're kind of talking things through. Do you not worry that could be a bit samey because we've already kind of had scenes like that in the series? I feel like Loki and Sylvie have been together for the six episodes in the, the original series. And throughout it, they don't really betray each other. They, you know, they kind of allude to, oh, I was just trying to get the Tempest off you, which was fun. And it's like kind of rom-com humour. But they don't actually betray each other. And this is a new Loki. He gets betrayed by Sylvie and he offers her a second chance. And that's something that you would never have seen from Loki before. So when he offers her the second chance and she messes it up again and betrays him again, he cuts ties with her. And I feel like this would show that Loki is a stronger person. He's a a bigger guy it's not just all about mischief now it is it, an actual character progression and i feel like that would portray it well and i do understand what you're saying about there's a lot of chatting between them throughout the episodes and it could become a bit same maybe a sense of apathy but i feel like it would be important for the character progression which the show the original show uh, doesn't really portray very well thanks good answer thank you yeah i didn't really have any issue with I mean, I personally thought the character progression was pretty clearly stated, especially in Loki, you know, when he said, you know, I did what I did because, you know, I want attention, uh, I wanted to be seen. And then later on, he talks about when he's held in that kind of time prison with, uh, after, you know, playing the joke and realizing he's going to be sad like alone, he starts to realize his behavior was obviously incorrect. Later on in, in the prune world, you know, she asks him, like, how do I know you won't betray me? And they have a little back and forth. And it seems to come on a fairly good um, consensus. That, like, look, I've, I've, that guy's not here anymore. And then the, the final episode, Loki even purposely goes out of his way to not be that person anymore to the point where it actually costs him. Um, and he's showing that he's changed. He's not going to backstab people. He's thinking of the greater good. He's trying to be the better person. And Sylvia actually turns on him already. So... I, I guess my concern with your pitch is kind of twofold. I think it potentially undermines some of the MCU with the end of Thanos, as well as not really, in my opinion, changing any issue or drastically doing much different than was already done. 
Uh, well, I disagree with you saying about Loki's character progression. I feel like the the things you listed there were all words apart from uh, the scene where he's in the time prison. But even then, he's just kind of like, oh, just get me out of here. It didn't really feel like he'd learned his lesson as opposed to he just didn't want to go through. I understand he was feeling the emotion of what he had done wrong, but I didn't feel like he'd picked up anything from it. Whereas uh, the other two things he'd said, that's him just saying, yeah, this is, I'm a good guy. No, you know, I'm, I'm not going to betray you. Uh, you know, I, I'll stand by your side and I'll, I'll defend you. But it doesn't, th- these are just words. You know, it, there's no showing of Loki progressing as a character. Loki going to Thor and asking him for his help and breaking down and, you know, apologising for what he'd done, that is an actual instance of showing character progression and a character arc, whereas we don't get that throughout the whole of the six episodes. Okay, I would, I would still disagree on a couple of issues, but I respect the pitch. Thanks. Reese. Um, I'm going to ask a question because the more questions you get, the longer you have to wait to go golfing after this. But um, it's just a nice simple question. So, like, you said about how Owen Wilson gets to go back to, um, like, he goes back to his time um, for a little bit before deciding that he's going to go back to the TVA. Does he ride a jet ski? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I okay. actually had written that in my notes initially, but I took it out. But yes, he 100% does. There you go. Thank you for uh, making my dreams come true. <laughs> well, there we go. Two of the pitches out the way. And next up, to try and better Loki, Adam Arkevich. Take it away. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I've gone for something a bit simpler on my pitch. Um, I'm just going to add two scenes to Loki. Um, so the first one I want to add in is at the end of episode five, we get Judge Renslayer watching a recording of her memory of promotion to judge when she gets to meet, inverted commas, the timekeepers. But instead, she gets to meet Kang. He re- reveals his love for her. Now, if you don't know, she's a bit of an on and off love interest in the comics. Sparks fly. Won't get into it here. How he's spent lifetimes with her. How she can be his equal if, he, if she wants. But she's unsure. She rejects him. She's got a passion for what she does. A sense of importance. She's scared of how she would be with that much power. He gives her one of his TED pads to reach him if she changes her mind. The second scene I'm adding is a post credit scene to episode six, a proper one. We get her, we get uh, Ravona arriving at the Citadel just before Loki and Sylvie, where she sees Kang, tells him she's ready to be with him. TV has nothing left for her. She wants to be the one in control. Kang tells her he may die. He doesn't know what's going to happen when Loki and Sylvie arrive beyond a certain point. And if he does, she has to go and ensure the foundations are in place for the timeline to be saved and for him to return. And then she leaves, tearfully, just as Loki and Sylvie arrive. I think these scenes, for me, they would just add a little bit more, you know, tie up a little bit more with the B-plot, give us a bit more to think about, reward the audience for sticking with it. So that's a pretty simple pitch, but that's all I've got to say. Thank you. So I was tying up a bit all the scenes and kind of setting up potentially the, the, the main act of season two of Loki with uh, Ravona and Kang being a, a loving couple and kind of overpowering what the TVA could be. Very, very interesting. The floor is open. If anyone wants to ask Adam any questions. Adam, hi. Um, 
you know in the post credit scene where you're talking about uh, Ramona going to see Kang, is Kang not dead at this point? Uh, sorry, I'd said it was just before Loki and Silver arrived because obviously we've not seen this, but it's already it's kind of already happened. Time's linear, so she's used the she's travelled using the ten pad to a point before Loki and Sylvia arrive. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, right, you got understand. Me. Yep, yep. Reese, do you remember in the best Harry Potter film, Prisoner of Azkaban, when Harry gets hit by that stone and it was Hermione? <laughs> that. <laughs> when Harry's at the other end of the lake and he thinks he sees his dad. No, 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 Reese, Reese, oh. they're not listening. In, <laughs> in the pumpkin patch. Right, okay. With those little, you know, those little stones that you get in, like, in Dorset from gift shops. I'm like, not familiar with Dorset <laughs> myself. Are you talking about when Hermione turns around and she goes, oh, I thought I just saw... Never mind. Are you talking about that? Yes. Right, there okay. We there we go. <laughs> Same, there we go, finally. You happy with that? Uh, no, nah, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, I've got a question. Uh, Stuart Fitzgerald, Big Picture Podcast. Um, uh, so, like, what is... What is your plan going forward for uh, Ravona Renslayer then? Like, uh, is she going to show up uh, in the future? Like, what is her end goal there? Are you just setting the seeds for that, or do you have, like, is there something you'd like to see her do from then? Uh, I think we could definitely see her interact potentially with the Council of Kangs, um, which in, in the comics is pretty obvious. There's, quite a, there's lots of variants of Kangs that have banded together. I think there's potential for her to interact there to seek what the connection she had with the Kang she knows and other Kangs. I think she could be a good kind of driving force, but also kind of behind the scenes. I think it gives them a lot of scope for how they want to play it. She could be the one who's pulling the strings and giving extra obstacles for people to overcome, or if she, in that case, if she was with the Council of Kangs, or she should be someone in the background trying to, trying to save everything by herself. Very good. Nice answer. Uh, nice pitch. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Lewis, do you have any questions for, for Adam on, on his pitch? Um, not really. Um, it adds a little element, but it's not an element that I think I particularly would enjoy. But I think that's more because I actually like the way the, the show is going. I don't think we're getting a season two. I think it's just going to Doctor Strange. So I think adding that would kind of take away from where I think the show is going personally. So, I mean, it's a good pitch, but I have no questions or comments. That's fair enough, Lewis. Uh, I would just maybe say, like, as much as it doesn't have to just lead into season two, because she could just, if we're saying she's a background, kind of in the background, she could easily just blend in uh, Doctor Strange as well. But, you know, I've just that's why I've tried to get a bit of scope. But thanks. I appreciate your comments, Henry. Thank you. One thing I will say, it gives some bloody closure. And that's one thing this show just doesn't quite do right. As Reese pointed out, it kind of gives a uh, ties up a loose end. There we go. Just before we move on, Adam, I was just wondering, does what you propose um, really add much to season one, or is it more about how it's going to benefit season two? I think, I'm not going to say it adds loads to season one, but I think it gives us a bit of a, a, a conclusion. I think just sitting down at the end, I think if you got this scene, you would feel like, okay, like I know what's happening there. You know a bit more. I think it does... At the end of Loki, I know it's it does as we said, it doesn't wrap up anything. It very much leaves you in the dark as to what's going to happen next. And I think just giving the audience a bit of something 
like this, I think it would just wrap it up a bit better. So I think that would that for me would be the season one impact. Although obviously I think I agree with you, it would maybe have more of an impact later on. I think the immediate impact though of kind of giving a bit of a bit of an ending, a bit more of an ending, I think would be really important. Oh, it's your last to pitch, my friend. Take it, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I think from my comments and other pitches, you can tell there wasn't a lot that I wanted to change. And in truth, I kind of struggled to come up with something, um, something enough that bothered me um, to, to, to pitch a change. You know, exposition aside on some of the things I dealt with when dealing with you know, complications of, of, of time travel. It's generally a good show, but one instance that particularly bothered me um, and kind of became clear as I looked back was in the final episode we have an, in my opinion an amazing scene with Loki, Sylvie and Kang kind of having a verbal back and forth about the whole concept of the time and taking over and making sure nothing goes awry and in that scene I personally felt like I was being drawn in and just absolutely mesmerised however Sophie D. Martino, okay, so yeah, I think was kind of outshined in this scene. I personally can't tell if it's dialogue, kind of her purpose in the scene versus her particular performance, but I'm going to go with a lot of the two. And unfortunately, in my pitch, I am recasting Sophie with Eva Green. Eva Green, a, in my opinion, quite a wonderful actress starring in the 300 sequel, you know, quite a dark, tortured character, as well as fantastic in Casino Royale. It's quite a spectrum. Uh, but to me, I think she'd have the skills and ability to jump into that atmosphere and add an element to that character that I personally thought was missing. Not just in that scene, but periodically throughout the show, I think Eva would be perfect, perfectly capable to create a bit more of a meaner, deeper, conflicted, twisted character. I kind of struggled to get sympathy for her particular motivations. Obviously, it's self-preservation, but I think that's the the easiest one to kind of door on. So I preferred someone else that could maybe get a little bit more out of the character. I say this, though, the show was great and the performances were amazing. And like I said, I can't 100% tell if it was a dialogue decision or if it's a character issue or whatever. But if I had to pick one thing, unfortunately, it would probably be that scene and that particular issue with... Sophie DiMartino. Um, so unfortunately, I'd be recasting her with Eva Green. That's my pitch. Eva Green is Sylvie and Loki. What is the panel's thoughts? Hi, I'm coming first again. I've been getting in there quick. Um, I think it's bold, and you know, I appreciate a bold pitch. My only concern is actually that we've already seen a kind of, you know, maybe a bit more of a dark, twisted Asgardian female character in Hela in For Ragnarok. Um, so do you not, do you not worry that maybe we'll be getting a bit too similar? I know we're getting a female, I know she's a female Loki, I know that, but I'm just, you know, kind of wondering if they, their maybe kind of on-screen presence would be a bit too similar. Yeah, no, I actually, I 100% get your criticism and we are dealing with Loki. Um, I use these words specifically to kind of convey the person I was going with, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get some DC cast-off or Spawn reincarnated. I don't mean this as in, like, all of a sudden she's going to become a serial killer and she's going to be really dark and murderous. and uh, Like, no, I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for someone who has a bit more depth. They can touch into these elements. So I'm not saying dial up to a living and have someone come to Asgard and throw sticks out of her hands and impale people. I'm meaning just to get a bit more depth to the character, have someone that I think they could get the specific aspects I'm looking for, but just kind of give a bit more uh, depth, feeling and emotion and create an atmosphere around the Sylvie more than just what we were given. 
Um, I understand the criticism, and obviously, me being me, of course, a dark twisted brain. That's that's me in a fucking nutshell. But uh, no, I, I get the criticism, but I'm not talking about Dylan up that high. All right, fair enough. Thank you. Good answer. Good answer. Has anyone else got a, a question to ask of us? Of his uh, recasting of Solvay? Uh, I don't really have a question because I thought that Sofia Di Martino was brilliant. I I never noticed what Lewis noticed. Um, and I, no point in the, the throughout the six episodes did I once even think uh, negatively about her performance. So um, I think recasting would be a bit harsh, but uh, obviously Lewis has seen something that I've not seen in uh, you know, fair play. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add to that. It's just, I mean, I struggled to pick something, and I thought adding some complexity and depth to Sylvie was like the one thing I could think of, and I didn't want to just go on a full rewrite of the script. So I figured, hey, let's maybe give someone else a crack. I think actually, yeah, like I, I was the same as Reese when you when you talked about recast, and I was like, oh, that's a shame. I, I kind of liked what she was doing, but as you went onto your pitch, I was like, Do you know what? I could see Eva Green doing like playing Loki and then I'm sorry but Adam just like convinced me that yeah I think there'd be too many hella uh, parallels drawn between them so like I, so yeah sorry Adam kind of just swayed me away from that yeah but I do agree that Eva Green needs to be in the MCU I feel it should be a real powerhouse but maybe not in that role yeah I can't really add more to that that criticism as a kind of retort to Adam I'm not trying to create someone quite to that level um, I just wanted to see maybe a slightly different portrayal. Uh, nothing personal, Sophie. Like I said, it was great. I actually enjoyed the performance. But when I looked at that scene in the end of episode six and kind of reflected on the rest of the show, I felt like there was just a bit of depth, a bit of atmosphere around Sophie that was missing. And I just thought I'd try and correct that. But obviously, steered the ship a bit too far. Well, there we have it. The pitches are in. And can you please submit to me who you would like? To win this episode and be this episode's big picture, will it be Stuart's pitch for more high octane episode three? Will it be Reese's pitch of three extra episodes to add some finality to the whole shenanigans? Will it be Adam who wanted a kind of tie up for the B side story of Ravona and meeting Kang in an extra post credit scene, or is it Lewis who wants? Eva Green to be Sylvie in the TV show. And as the boys are sending in their, their pitches, I can reveal the next episode of The Big Picture. We are going to decide what is the best movie theme song. Oh, I feel like when, when you announce what the next episode is, it's always a big surprise for me. <laughs> you just forget. <laughs> I'm, I'm so clear. <laughs> And um, be, I, I'm sure. I'm sure that the host has forgot who who is hosting that. But I will inform that it's Stuart that will be hosting that episode. <laughs> I definitely wasn't trying to work out if it was me. <laughs> I, I also thought that it was me. Uh, oh, that's exciting! I remembered what it was because I have the Iron Titan. No, it's too, it's twice the movies. I, I can't sing. It's really hot. Wrap this up, Jack. Well, I can't wrap up because the, the the votes are in. And with three votes, your 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 episode winner, the big picture champion, the man that can fix Loki, with a more high octane episode three, Stuart Fitzgerald. Well done. You are this episode's big picture champion. How does it feel? How does it feel? 
Uh, I cheers, thanks guys. Um, great. It's twenty-seven degrees. Jack, uh, please wrap it up. <laughs> yep. Okay. On that. On that. On that note, it is twenty-seven degrees. We are all uh, melting. Wait, 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 wait. Who got the other vote? Uh, Adam. Adam got the other vote. Thank you. Well done, Adam. First, first time almost, listener. I wasn't going to mention it. I was just, I was just going to leave it at the, at the, the, the three votes for Stuart and an overwhelming. A overwhelming victory, and on that note, Stuart, well done. Adam, commiserations, but second place, must be happy. Yeah, yeah, pleased. I thought Stuart's pitch was the one that I voted for, obviously, and I thought it was really good, so I never don't feel bad to lose to that. Lewis, commiserations as well. Thank you for coming on. I'm sure you'll have some excellent movie theme song choice for our next episode. I'll try and make something a bit better than my pitch that I did, you know, hours before the show. <laughs> and Reese, commiserations and uh, thank you for being on as, as always we look forward to having you back okay uh, great fuck off on that note we end there we see you on the next episode bye everyone